I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You know, Buck's Twitter can sometimes be a, a very mean place. And so I thought I'd start off with just mean tweets directed at me primarily um, after the, uh, the news broke that Antonio Brown and Mike Edwards and John Franklin, should he ever get a chance to play in the NFL, were all suspended three games for, quote, misrepresenting their vaccination status. We'll get into that parsed language in a minute. But first, these are some of my favorites from the night. Uh, let's see. Who is this from? Uh, Ravi uh, Dalchand. I don't apologize if, if, in fact, I mispronounced your name. Ravi says, uh, Mark Katchis, who's our boss, NFL Stroud, Tampa Bay Times, Buccaneers should pull the plug on access to Stroud regardless of violation or not. I think they've already pretty much determined that they were in violation. Uh, Bucks tailgate talk. No way any players on the Bucks will trust NFL Stroud again, right or wrong, just how it will probably be. Then we had Youssef Taufik, I guess. Uh, this one, this one was such a mean tweet. I'll save this one because it's really about Aaron Rodgers. We had a lot of those. Um, here, but this might be my my famous, my my famous, my favorite. Punish Sama tweeted again to my boss, myself, the Times, and he deserves to have his press credentials revoked for hurting the team. Brown got vaccinated in August. This was a non-story to begin with, and nobody was ever put at risk. All for clicks. And my favorite part, filthy parasitic vermin. I got to hand it to you. I gave him bonus points for parasitic. I thought that was really good. I've been called vermin before. Filthy is probably accurate. But parasitic, that's that's nice. That's, that's a good well one. done. That's a well done tweet there. Yeah. I mean, that when you come up with filthy parasitic vermin, I mean, that's that's the FPV. I mean, that's 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 really unique. So... Those are just, and when I say a small sample, <laughs> a small sample of the reaction, when when the NFL handed down what was a collectively bargained, by the way, punishment uh, that's under the player conduct policy for, I don't know, faking your vaccination cards? No, 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 now, no, they, no, Rick. They just misrepresented their vaccination status. <laughs> yeah, they did. That's right. That's like me going into a bank and misrepresenting that you got to give me all that money because it belongs to me, right? Uh, ignore the gun in my hand, but this this money is mine. Um, listen, this story, you know, and, and we've <laughs> we've we've gone through. I can't tell you how many editor meetings and phone calls and text messages and hours and hours and hours of vetting every little piece of information. I've talked to lawyers, for goodness sakes, which I haven't done in my career, about this story to make sure we're on sound footing. It was an on-the-record story a couple weeks ago. Um might not have been a couple weeks ago. It feels like a month ago, but it may have, may have actually been published a week ago or so, um, that 
a former live-in chef of Antonio Brown's who was very transparent and said, yes, he owes me $10,000, among other things that he attempted to collect uh, or ways he attempted to collect the money, uh, said that Antonio Brown attempted and did, in fact, eventually purchase a fake vaccine card, which was then you know, witnessed by this chef uh, and others. And in fact, Alex Guerrero, who's, you know, Tom Brady's trainer and partner, came over, photographed the vaccination card, didn't know it was fake, according to the chef, Stephen Ruiz, and then sent it to Bobby Slater. They documented it. It went to the NFL portal. Done. Okay. All of it on the record. Screenshots. Um, Brown's girlfriend, Sidney Romero, asking Chef Stephen Ruiz if he could get a J&J card uh, that AB would pay him $500. He wasn't able to do so, but then he obviously found out that he got it anyway. And the card, according to Stephen Ruiz, told us later, was actually purchased from a teammate, John Franklin III, who was a wide receiver, former star of the Netflix series Last Chance U, um, and that you know he, in fact, was the guy distributing these to, to Brown, to his girlfriend, and others, I suppose. Because the one thing we didn't know until Thursday evening was that there were three players suspended, including Mike Edwards, their safety, uh, who back in July didn't want to talk about his COVID status, which was his prerogative. But it was it was obvious that you know he really um, was still struggling with whether to get vaccinated or not. And so now you have these guys suspended for three games without without contesting it, by the way, accepting their punishment. That's going to cost them a lot of money. Uh, it's without pay. And in John Franklin's case, who knows what it will cost him. He's not in the NFL. I'm sure he has aspirations to play again. But that means that Edwards and, and Antonio Brown, who's nursing an injury anyway, won't be able to play any sooner than the December 26th game at home against Carolina, which is like week, I don't know, 16. So there you have it. I mean, that's the conclusion for now of the story. There's still a lot of questions unanswered. And it it just it amazes me. And look, this is and I will say this and 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 they can defend themselves or not in this case. The Buccaneers attitude towards this story, okay, as far as my reporting goes because I've let them know everything that I as I learned it what what the story was, who said it, um, what information we had, all that stuff. From the beginning, their only interest, in my opinion, this is a bit of an opinion, but in my opinion, their only interest was in preventing the story from ever being printed. They didn't comment on the story, even though they had ample opportunities to do so. So did Brown, so did his attorneys, so did his agent. Nobody wanted to say anything. They didn't want to say He's been vaccinated. They didn't want to say anything on the record whatsoever until they saw the story and then they responded to it. And what did the Bucks say? The Bucks said, in essence, that all our players are vaccinated, which is something that Bruce Arians proudly announced uh, a few days before the regular season, and that we found no irregularities. That was their phrase. No irregularities in any of the cards because under this policy, the teams themselves have to be responsible for determining the validity of these vaccination cards. Now, you don't have to be vaccinated to play in the NFL, right? 
you can choose to get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. But clearly the league and its union wanted as many players to be vaccinated as possible because why? Well, they, they think it's a safety issue, okay, first and foremost. They're also protecting their business. And business only is good if they can stay in business, if they can stay open. And you couldn't have a bunch of guys getting infected week to week, having to cancel games, move games. Um, you know, they, they sort of managed to navigate that a year ago. But this year it was about the fans were coming back, the TV contracts were new. They wanted things as normal as possible. And to do that, they thought the safest way, the most responsible way was to try to get as many players vaccinated as possible. And and so they incentivized them. And how did they do that? Well, if you're not vaccinated, which you have the right to be, you're subject to testing every single day. You're still subject to the protocols that say you have to have social distance. You have to wear a mask at all times. And I mean all times. When you go on the road, you can't go out of the hotel and you know uh, meet with family, kibitz around. You can't eat meals at a restaurant. You can't go to parties. You can't. There's, there were so many protocols, 800 and something pages of protocols, many of them that were punitive towards people who didn't get vaccinated. So the effort was to get as many vaccinated as possible. What Brown did, and we'll get into Aaron Rodgers in a minute, and as well as Edwards and uh, John Franklin, is they didn't just break protocols. It wasn't a matter of just, hey, they didn't wear their mask, which is essentially what Brown or uh, and Rogers was fine for uh, at a press conference. He he followed the protocols inside the building, and everybody in Green Bay knew that he wasn't vaccinated. What these guys did was pass themselves off as vaccinated players, right? Hey, here's my card, wink, wink. I didn't get a shot, but hey, I'm vaccinated. And what did that allow them to do? Sit next to other legitimately vaccinated players, coaches, staff, Okay, and what happened? Week two, after week two game, Brown gets COVID. I mean, he's got COVID, right? Could have infected, I don't know, Bruce Arians, uh, Tom Moore, who's 80-something years old. Who's to say? Maybe he gives it to a player or takes it home to a grandparent. I, I mean, this is why these protocols are, are there. It's so that... Vaccinated players know that the guy sitting next to them is indeed vaccinated and not just playing. Okay? So they're there for a reason. I mean, 750,000 people have died of this virus. I don't think it's anything to sneeze at. No pun intended. I mean, it, it matters. So regardless, this isn't the newspaper's you know protocols. This isn't the government's. This is a collectively bargained players and team and league deciding here's what we're going to do, okay? And somehow, stop me if you're shocked, Antonio Brown, okay, who's been accused of a hell of a lot worse and found guilty of a hell of a lot worse, is the guy who's at the center of this thing. So just this is a general reaction, and, and that was just a sample of some of the me tweets, Look, I don't I don't care. Everybody has an opinion. It it really I find it somewhat pathetic and a little bit comical. Uh my kids enjoyed reading it, I know that. But at the end of the day, okay, we did our jobs, right? We reported a story, we had on the record sources, 
We had documentation to back up claims. We were transparent in what guys like Steven Ruiz and, 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 and others involved in this story, what their motives were, right? And the story was accurate. It was true, all right? And for some reason, people, some people think that, you know, you're supposed to put on the pom-poms and, and say go team and all this stuff. Hey, all I know is I did my job. And we did our jobs because somebody or a group of people at one buck place didn't do theirs. Okay? They didn't. And I'm not sure they still have, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm reading I'm reading stories from, from other um, publications, Steve, that say, you know, well, Antonio Brown's vaccinated now because what happened was he came in with a card and they told him it was no good, so then he went out and got vaccinated. Wait, what? What? That's not the protocol. So I can come in and hand you something, and if it looks like I, you know, drew it on a piece of cardboard and, and had my two-year-old sign it, you're going to go, hey, this doesn't look that good. How about we give you the needle? Uh-uh. That's not the protocol. The protocol is your job as a team, you have an infectious uh, doctor, um, disease doctor, and they're supposed to vet these cards. Now, how do you do it? Well, that's, you know, a lot of them look the same. I get it. Um, but there are ways. Um, and they're supposed to, to determine whether they're real or not. And if they're not, they're supposed to tell the league that you try to pass pass on a, a fake vaccination card and you're subject to the personal conduct policy. Not, hey, tell you what, bro, this one isn't very good. Um, how about you just take the shot instead? That's not the protocol, okay? And it just it slays me that people don't see the seriousness or the potential seriousness of this. And rather than rather than the organization being that interested in I don't know, finding out if they got a vaccination card problem. They wanted they wanted to just attack the credibility of the story itself. Bruce Arians, Steve, went on a serious radio and said that that this story is not that basically it's not true. That Antonio Brown's vaccinated. It's not true. It's no it's not a story, was his quote. It is not a story. I assure you it is one now. Well, the NFL obviously thinks it is because they suspended the players for three games. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget the next part of this. Presenting a fake vaccination card is a felony. Yes, it is. They've got two problems. I would agree with that. And 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 this this is irrefutable in my opinion. If you read the statement, they go out of their way and and look, I I when Jameis Winston was going through his ordeal with the with the Uber driver and all of that, um, I got to be pretty good associates with his attorney, Jason Zimmerman. And look, how these things go down is there's at some, you know, the players have given the NFL the right to be judge, jury, and, and executioner, period. They give that, they've given that away in their, in their collective bargaining agreement. So, you know, the, 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 the standard of proof is not, this is not a court of law. This is not anything, right? This is just what they want to do. And so, you know, there's always he said, she says, and things like that. The league had them on this one. You know what I mean? Like, they they had them. And, and I'm sure that the conversations went something like, 
hey, um, we don't believe you. We've got three cards, which we'll get into, from Citrus County. Okay? Citrus. Not Hillsborough or Pasco or Pinellas or Polk or Hernando. Citrus County, 80 miles away. When they're doing vaccinations at the team facility for you and your family. And not one, not two, but three players trot on up to Citrus to what? Crystal River? And decide to go through a drive through according to Brown's attorney, back in mid-June? This is how they handled things? You got to hand it to these doctors, boy. They really vetted these cards pretty hard because, you know, I got a bunch of guys that are from South Florida, spend time in L.A., have homes in South Tampa, and they drive past everything to go up to Citrus County, all three of them, and decide that, yep, that's where I got vaxxed. That's where it was, all right. It, It just never dawned on the Buccaneers that maybe we should look at these and ask a question or two. You can bet the league did. And the league basically said, you're busted. You can contest this if you want. If you do, it's going to cost you probably more. And we'll agree that we won't accuse you of a felony, even though it is a felony punishable up to five years in prison. So I don't know. Look, somewhere out there is an FBI office, and somebody's going to look at this, and they're going to go, um, which one of you were actually selling these cards? And who purchased them? And so on. So I think they got more than one problem. Okay. But as far as the Bucks are concerned, you know, hey, they'll be back day after Christmas. As soon as Santa leaves. So, you know, it, that's where we're at with this story, folks. I don't get paid anymore whether people read me or don't. And frankly, I don't write stories based on whether I think that's a possibility. The Bucks have Tom Brady, okay, the greatest quarterback of all time. Do you really think people aren't reading what I write? Do you really think I need clicks after 30-something years at the Tampa Bay Times? Biggest story? Not close. Not close. And I don't have to sit here and defend myself, but you know, there were two programs at the University of Florida that got on probation because of stories that myself and others wrote while I covered the Gators. You know, Tony Dungy didn't like hearing that the Buccaneers, the same team I covered, didn't like hearing that they had a secret agreement with Bill Parcells to coach the Bucks two weeks before he coached his final game here in Philadelphia in the playoffs. He writes about it in his book, Quiet strength. I could cite the page. I think it's 140 something, but don't have it in front of me. And he says right there, my favorite words that I want to hear from my wife more often, Rick Stroud was right. What was so rich about that is the organization denied it for an entire year. Parcells pulled himself out of the hunt. They ended up trading for John Gruden. And one year later, one year later, when Parcells took a job with the Dallas Cowboys, you know what the Glazers did? They pulled out a signed contract by Bill Parcells and showed it to the league and said, we want draft compensation. He was our coach. I kid you not. Kid you not. 
No one believed that story either for about a day. And then it was obviously true. So I, I'm not going to, you know, there's no need for me to defend the paper. We, you know, we, we, we've won plenty of Pulitzers. We know what we're doing in journalism. The question is, do the Bucks know what they're doing? I mean, what are they doing here? You know, you made a decision to, to sign Antonio Brown. Now, this is what Bruce Aarons will have to answer today, Steve. Remember the old he knows he's got his last chance routine? Hasn't he been a model right. citizen? Model citizen. Right. Model citizen. What do you think about that now? Does it matter? I don't think it matters. Well, they won it, a Super Bowl with the guy. But Bruce Arians was also one of the most adamant about players getting vaccinated. Pushing totally, for it. Totally Not right. Not just his team, you're, but the whole league. You're totally right. He he thought he saw this as a health issue and on his team, you know, remember, they won a Super Bowl when there were no vaccines, right? There were none. Okay? And these guys had to make a sacrifice or you you might lose games. I mean, there were teams that had to play on Tuesday. Remember Denver played and didn't have a quarterback on the roster? Mm-hmm. Not one. Okay? So, he was the COVID police. And he was he was just a, a, a tyrant about mask wearing, about separation. They ate their meals outside. And he told his players, we have no chance if we can't beat the virus first. And they did. And everybody credits Bruce Arians, who was serious as he could be, three-time cancer survivor, immune compromised, 69-year-old Bruce Arians, 83, 84-year-old Tom Moore. Okay, folks, they were serious about this, or so I thought. They were last year, you know, and then they won, and they won a Super Bowl. Antonio Brown played eight games, uh, had a pretty good postseason, caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl, 55, and then what happened? They signed all 22 starters. Wait, 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 wait. There was one guy who they didn't sign until the very end. And who was that? Antonio Brown. Free agent again. He's out there. They're not signing him. Why aren't they signing him? Well, I asked somebody that one time at Bruce Arians Golf Tournament. Somebody who should know. And they basically said, hey, look, uh, he's got this thing. You know, probably read about it. Civil suit. Trainer accusing him of three counts of sexual assault. We're going to wait till that's settled. And they did. They settled it out of court. A week later or so, Antonio Brown was a buck again. So I I don't want to hear about last strikes. I don't want to hear about, you know, I mean, it's just not a surprise, people. You know? You know what would have been a surprise? What would have been a surprise is if Mike Evans was that guy, right? Or Chris Godwin was that guy. Or Levante David was that guy. You know, it's not a surprise Antonio Brown is is wrapped up in this. Not at all. And this is the first case where the NFL has suspended players under their new COVID policy. And they've got three of them. And now the standard is set. You turn in a fake card, we're going to get you for three games. Might get you for more if you don't cooperate. Right? But these guys did. And so... 
we're just beginning here. I mean, there's a lot of inconsistencies with this story. Um, there's still pushback by the Bucks. I can tell you because I'm getting the text at 11 o'clock at night. You know, and maybe those will be part of our story soon that you can read. And you can read who they're from. Got no problem with that because nothing's off the record now unless you say it's off the record and I agree to it. And and nothing in this story has been off the record. But, yeah, if I'm those guys, I'm hoping that I can make it back in three games. Now, Antonio Brown is hurt. You know, he's got the, the heel, the ankle, whatever the heck it is. I have no idea. Um, but he wasn't going to play this week. He wasn't going to play against the Bills. Well, now he's not going to play against the Saints. So, essentially, Antonio Brown, if he stays healthy when he gets back against Carolina December 26th, if he stays healthy, he'll wind up playing. You know how many games he'll wind up playing this year? Eight. Same number as he played a year ago. Eight games. That's it. You know, and this this little thing here, you know, the $10,000 he didn't pay Ruiz and not getting vaccinated and all that, it's going to cost him some money, man. Like three hundred grand, at least. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, the, the guy was suspended eight games, and basically nobody would sign him, right? Because he beat up a moving van driver because the guy said, you owe me $4,000. And let me assure you, since writing this story, I mean, I'm getting calls and text messages from people that Antonio and or, you know, people around have not paid. It The list is long. SI did a whole story about this a few years ago. And, you know, it none of this is a good reflection on Brown, on the NFL, and it sure is hell in a good reflection on the Bucks. Do they need this? Do you need him to win? They're eight and three. They were five and zero oh with him. The record's not nearly as good. The points aren't nearly as good. I get why they want the player. I do. But this is what you get with the player. Okay? It's inseparable. You you can't you can't rip it off. So, you know, it's the old, my dad had a saying, you know, and everybody's heard this saying, like, you you can lay down on hay, you might get eight hours sleep, but you're going to wake up scratching. Okay. All right. Well, we're a little itchy right about now. So, and, you know, again, I didn't drive down the street one day. Here's the thing. It's like people are, oh, how does this guy cover the team? And no one drives down the street and goes, you know, I think I'm going to find a story that will be in such violation of, of an NFL policy so as to several players will be suspended and potentially hurt their chances of winning. Like, wh- who does that, right? Who's an enemy of a, of a team they cover to that degree? Oh, no, no, even better. I'll make it up. I'll completely make it up. So... You know, the fairy tale or whatever these people believe with these mean tweets, is, I mean, it's just, it's sad. It really is sad that people think that the world works this way. You know, uh, journalism doesn't work that way. And the Tampa Bay Times sure as hell doesn't work that way. I can't write anything that's not vetted and vetted heavily. I was involved with lawyers on this story. 
you know. So it's been quite a quite an eye opening experience. I've learned a lot about the character and uh, you know some of the things that uh, have been told would happen have happened as a result of writing this story, which was true, by the way. And they can they can live with that, but um, yeah, we did our jobs, and there's still more to come. Uh, I don't I don't think this is the end of it. I really don't. And listen, I would not want to be one of those players because you've got another problem. The league can parse anything they want in a statement. The the if it's a felony, okay, the FBI, whoever is in charge of finding out who obtains these cards and sells them or distributes them or uses them, they've got all the information they need to start their investigation. Okay? And I think they're pretty serious about it. So we'll see where this goes. But for right now, at least, nobody's playing until December 26th. And, you know, if if they're still eligible to play, they will. If they're healthy enough, I mean, even Mac Edwards is recovering from a knee injury. He hasn't practiced um, because he made the tackle on the kickoff return in Indianapolis, kind of saved the game with that one. Um, but, yeah, that's it, man. Any questions? <laughs> Steve, can I help? You got any mean tweets for me you want to throw at me? I well, mean, I mean, we can go back the last the two, three weeks of mean tweets of, um, you know, how yeah, many it's been that way. people have wanted you sued, fired. <laughs> Stewed. You know, I, I think and people get confused because they're fans. And I'm not saying of everyone. Course. But, but your no, job as a do. reporter isn't to cheer on the team. It's not, never, it's a lot not of people to, never understand that. It's not to tear yeah. down the team. It's to report yeah. what's going on, on and sure. off the field and everything that affects the franchise and the team. Yeah. If, if the stories are great and they're winning Super Bowls, it's wonderful. Other times it's about firing coaches or investigations well, into sexual assaults <laughs> or whatever. You know, it's you follow the I've stories, said, it, it, the players in the organization and the people. And, and that's what your job is, is to report that stuff, whether good or bad. Your job is not right. to defend a team. I'm not a referee. But I'm you're not also not, you're not trying to tear down a team. You're reporting news. You're reporting no. the stories and the people that are associated with it. Now. There are some organizations that are different. For instance, the Bucks website that's owned by the team. Their their job sure. is to promote the team in that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, there are certain blogs and fan sites that are going to be that way. Mm-hmm. We're going to be pro team, no doubt. The key for journalism. And that doesn't mean that, that mm-hmm. it doesn't mean we're anti team. We're just no. We're just trying to be as as fair as we can be. Uh, the the purpose of, of good journalism, whether it's sports or news or politics or, you know, arts or music, whatever it is, it's to report on the stories of the people and, and what's going on. And, and some days those are great stories and uplifting and positive, and other times it's reporting bad things and bad people and that. It's you follow what the news of the day is. It's not There's not an agenda going in. You well, got, at least not. I mean, I, I, I'm sure, you know, if, if people have one, well, they usually are revealed pretty quickly, well, right? Well, for mean, instance, this story came to you from someone who had an agenda. Was no very, question. Someone who was very ticked off that Antonio Brown didn't pay him. 
Owed him ten grand, and he knew some yeah. things about Antonio Brown. I mean, you know, yes, yeah. are there agendas in stories? Sure. Do you have an agenda? Your agenda is to to get the facts right and report the news and report the stories. Well, the interesting thing is that you know, no, when when the story came to us, the last thing I did was say, "I'm going with this baby." Like, yeah, right now, let's put it in the paper. Like that, just the opposite. You know, we knew the motives, and I thought that you know. Look, there can be bad people on both sides or good people on both sides, really, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. All that matters is what happened. Is, is it true, right? So Stephen Ruiz, who met Antonio Brown in L.A., and catered a, a party for him. Brown took a liking to the guy and invited him to come move to Tampa, moved in with his home in his home in Davis Islands. I've said this before. He entrusted him with his girlfriend, Sydney Moreau, who's a model with a million followers on Instagram, his $300,000 car, and a key to his house. I don't trust anybody with any of those things. Even if I if I had a model girl, I have a beautiful wife. But, I mean, whatever. I certainly don't have a $300,000 car. So this guy was his dude. Like, he was more than his chef. He was his guy. You know what I mean? And so he was in a position to see things, hear things, know things. And he was transparent. He said, listen, I couldn't get him him or his representatives to pay me. We had a dispute. And, you know, he tried many different ways, including uh, getting a Hollywood fixer to call the Bucks. And they told the Bucks that you got a vaccination card problem. What the Bucks do about it? Just dismiss the guy. Oh, you know, this guy, he's a Hollywood fixer. You know, he had something to do with Paris Hilton's tape, blah, blah, blah. You know, they were given some information. If it were me, I'd be interested. I would want the information no matter what source it came from. Sure, you consider the source. Sure, if you think it's a shakedown or, or, you know, something like that. Um, But it was right in front of them. I mean, it was hiding in plain sight. That's if you think it was hiding at all. Okay, it was right there. They had copies of the cards, all of them. They all said Citrus County, enough to ask questions about. Okay, and apparently they didn't ask the right ones if they asked any at all. And according to some reporting on on Thursday night, in fact, somebody, and it was literally written that way, somebody told Brown, handed the card back to him and said, Go get vaccinated. Now, I don't know whether to believe that because it's not my reporting, so I don't know if it's true. What I do think happened is that after this became public, the Bucks called those cards up and put them on a big screen and looked at them and questioned Brown and questioned the fact that it was in Citrus County, and then they pulled up a few more. And who did they find? John Franklin. Who mentioned him? The chef as the guy who had sold him. Citrus County. Who else did they find? Mike Edwards. I didn't know about Mike Edwards. He got caught up in it too, right? So, you know, listen, the NFL did their own work. You know, they read the story. They were aware of the story. We called them. They said they're aware of the story. They're looking into it. They investigated it. The day after Thanksgiving, or before Thanksgiving, rather, on Wednesday, they called Stephen Ruiz. They interviewed him for a little, about 10 or 11 minutes. They told him if he needed an attorney to, by all means, get one if he didn't want to answer the questions. Uh, and they essentially, you know, took his statements and his information. And it checked out the same way it did for me. Do you think if the NFL 
who followed the same path as I did, right? Go to the chef who they knew had an axe to grind and was owed $10,000. Go to Brown's people. Uh, you know, vet this with the bucks as many ways as you could. They followed the same path. They came up with the same or really more detailed conclusions that implicated one other player, right? But, yeah, uh, been an interesting interesting uh, couple of weeks, man. And, and look, I'm not spiking the football here. All I did was my job. Nobody wins, nobody loses. This isn't about me versus the Bucks or the Bucks. Uh-uh. It never has been. Right? When the Bucks win, I wrote stories. It's funny. When they win, I write stories they like. When they lose, typically you write stories they don't like. For years and years, this team didn't win anything. And so the organization wasn't too fond of what I wrote. Um, they're not too fond of this. Okay? But again, this began with their players, and particularly Antonio Brown, or at least Antonio Brown and a teammate who he accepted a fake Vax card from. So we'll see where it goes, man. I mean, none of those guys are going to play, and the Bucks got to go to Atlanta and find a way to win a game there. Uh, coming up in the podcast, we'll preview that game that we had prepared for you. I guess we'll play it. What the hell? Yeah, so um, we uh, actually had recorded a podcast Thursday morning. Yeah. That was what could set happen. to run today. <laughs> You're right. Because we both had commitments. I was working the lightning game and yeah, and that. So and here, here we are at 1 a.m. Now, fri- <laughs> now it's Friday morning. <laughs> yeah. So we should have just waited. Um, but, yeah, so uh, for those of you on the West Coast, if uh, when you get that, who's that one guy that does his workout like around 9? Because like, if, if the podcast isn't, isn't downloaded oh, Craig, by Craig 1230. Craig in Vegas, yeah. Craig in Vegas, yeah. Craig in Vegas. So you're going to be a little bit late tonight, buddy. Yeah. But not that late. Well, this is like, you know, the you know nightly news, you know. Stay tuned for what's yeah. coming up. And on the West Coast, you'll have this. And and, on, and then, you know, right. three hours later, they rerun the same. Or actually, they don't rerun the same newscast. They do the newscast over again. But it's pretty much the same script unless something changed. Right. It's coming up Johnny Carson after the news except on the West Coast, right? So you're going to have your news and then Johnny Carson. But, like, when, you know, uh, when, when we get the nightly news at, say, 630, the network ones, whether it's NBC, CBS, ABC. Yeah. When it's 6.30 on the West Coast, they redo the newscast. So they do the same newscast, essentially, although it'll update occasionally. But a lot of the stories are the same. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we can just picture it that way. Right. Or not. I, it doesn't matter to me. But I, I you know, it, it's been, let me just say it's been an eventful day. There'll be much more to talk about and write about with regards to all of this. And, you know... I, Again, no one's happy that Antonio Brown, first of all, he's hurt. Um, they need him. No one's happy that he got into this mess. I think Bruce Arians has to answer some questions. I know he will today. Well, and, um, and the one part we talked about, you know, some people brought up Aaron Rodgers. Right. And there's yes. a, there, there is a difference. Absolutely. And why there's a difference in punishment from the NFL, too, that mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers didn't lie to the team. I'm sorry, didn't misrepresent his vaccination status to the team. Nope. Or the they league. knew he wasn't. Yep. He violated some protocols around the media. That's correct. <laughs> no one gives a damn about the media. Well, uh, par- oh, well <laughs> apparently it's, it's enough for a fine, but. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, that's he violated pro- – he also mm-hmm. went to a Halloween party, yes. which he couldn't. Yep, do. that too. And the maximum, by the way, negotiated under the union, everybody's like, well, why did he only get $14,750? That's the amount they negotiated. Yep. <laughs> That's why. 
They, they negotiated it, and that's the most they can they can dock them. And they docked the the uh, Packers who didn't have the the guts to tell him you got to wear the mask at the press conference if you're not vaccinated. He wanted the optics, and they went along with it. That cost the Green Bay Packers three hundred thousand dollars. What's curiouser to me about this? I'll just say this: the Bucks didn't get any penalties. Okay, all right. I guess it was undetectable. I don't know. Seems to me your job is to not turn in fake vax cards to vet them. They're leaving that up to the teams now. And in this case, I don't think it would have been that hard to do. Particularly because you were tipped off about it. You know, had the had the team gone to the league and said, hey, we found three players we questioned and it doesn't add up. And so we, we're, we're going to let you guys decide what to do with these guys. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. Story had to be written. How much they knew before it was written, you you guys can all sort of speculate, but the result is the same. And um, you know, we'll we'll see what they have to say about about it going into the game against Atlanta. The two of those guys probably weren't going to play anyway, but next week they've got a big one against the Buffalo Bills, and then a the week after that it's the New Orleans Saints, who by the way lost their fifth in a row. Do you know? Sean Payton until t- until Thursday night had never lost five in a row. Wow, I think I covered twelve seasons where they lost five in a row. I'm not sure, but I think that's that's possible. Well, if the Bucks win Sunday, they'll have a four game lead with five games to go over New Orleans and and uh, and Atlanta. the Falcons and Carolina. They'll all be five and seven. Yeah, they they can wrap this. I'm pretty sure this is they can true. wrap they it can up wrap next this week. Division up. Would it be next week or the week after against well, New Orleans? You have a four so game lead. Beat. You have a four game lead with five to play. If the Bucks right. were to win that week and all three lo- lose, now you have That's a five-game lead with four to play. With help, you could wrap it up. You're yes. right. Yes, you're absolutely right. So um, the Saints, the Saints losing that was a crazy game, by the way. A lot of interceptions. Um, Dallas looked okay. I don't know, twenty points. I don't know. They had a bunch of interceptions though. Yeah, it's been it's been a rough year for Sean Payton, man. <laughs> he just he does not like officiating. And Dan Quinn, pick up your I won a game, but as the interim head coach for the Dallas Cowboys since Mike McCarthy was under COVID protocol. So that wasn't so good. Anyway, it's late or early, depending on where you are yeah. on the West Coast. And uh, Now you get a bonus edition of the podcast. Stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. That's right. The one that was originally we'll going to run tonight, you get to hear that now. <laughs> it's right. Take two. Here we go with Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'll thank you twice for listening. I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. For Steve Versnick, here's part two of our podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, it's Bucks Falcons this Sunday in Atlanta at the Mercedes uh, Dome, I guess they call it nowadays. And... Listen, this has been an interesting week already with the Bucks, um, you know, in terms of injuries. And we'll start with the fact that Antonio Brown, you know, a week ago at this time, we were told by Bruce Arians that Brown 
he was excited that he he really felt that Brown would probably be back this week against the Falcons. And then, you know, on Wednesday, BA said, no, he's out. Um, He's probably not going to play this week. And then later that afternoon, it was Adam Schefter, the arbiter of of, uh, news in the NFL. According to my sources, Bruce, not Bruce, he didn't quote Bruce Arians. According to my sources, Antonio Brown will be out this week and next week against the Buffalo Bills. They do not expect him back in the next two weeks. Then I go on Instagram, and I see a picture of Brown in like a, uh, what do you call those things, Steve? A, a decompression chamber? Is that what it is? Or Yeah, I think so. Something like that um, to help treat his injury. Look, this isn't good uh, in terms of, of, of the nature of this injury. They thought it was a sprained ankle at first. We heard a couple weeks ago that, well, it actually involves his heel. Now we're hearing more about the heel. All I know is that any receiver that I've covered over the years, when they have a foot problem, like a foot problem, right? Receivers are defensive backs. Um, those guys, when they have foot problems, it's a bigger problem than, than anyone realizes. Because if you think about the, just the nature of the position, right? You're, you're on your feet, you're running, um, you're cutting, you're doing things that requires you know, everything uh, at the lower half of your body. And if he's in pain, if there's something that's, you know, and they haven't done surgery that I'm aware of, then you just wonder how you're going to rehab your way through it. In other words, let's, let's say it's a heel, and I'm speculating, I don't, know, I don't know what he has, but let's say there's a bone spur or there's, you know, some, some sort of irritant um, that's causing pain. I don't know if it's going to go away, you know. Um, it can get better with time perhaps, but he's had a lot of time. He has not played Antonio Brown since the Eagles Thursday night game where he had a huge role. If you remember, they salted that game away on third down. They were up by six, um, let the Eagles get back in it, and they, they, they actually ran the clock out on him on a huge third down play that basically Brown and Brady ad-libbed the whole, the whole play. So, you know, they're 5-0 and with him in the lineup, less than that without him. If you just kind of watch the way teams play, you know, they, they're going to play cover two and, you know, the outside receivers are doubled. And, and, you know, to have a third weapon like that is huge. And I know they got Scotty Miller back, and he'll he'll work his way back into things. But this injury uh, would bother me if if I were a Bucks fan, only in that they keep moving the goalpost. You know what I mean? They keep moving the finish line. I, I never liked those type of injuries. No, and it's worrisome. And if you're, you know, I don't remember the specifics, but you remember from Hard Knocks a couple years ago with the Raiders. Yeah, when he had the foot, he, what he froze his foot too long or whatever, and <laughs> with the cryogenic issues chamber, on, yeah. On, uh, yeah, on on his feet and stuff, and now it's another foot injury that we thought was ankle, yeah. and now it's foot, and you you start yeah. it, it is bothersome and worrisome, and, and you know as you heading down the stretch here, and, and you know the Bucks are in good position right now to make the playoffs, but particularly when you get to the playoffs, you're going to want Antonio Brown and his no ability doubt. to open up the field, to stretch the field which makes everybody else around him so much better. I mean, you know, when yeah. Antonio Brown was added to the offense last year, it opened up the offense completely. And, Absolutely. And, and Tom Brady all of a sudden had more weapons and more space for everybody. And right. the offense became a lot more potent. It did. And, and, and you know, Brown, I think in the playoffs, he might have had three or four touchdowns. Uh, I remember a deep shot against uh, Washington that they absolutely needed. Of course, he had the touchdown in the Super Bowl. Uh, which was critical at that time of the game, which was another ad-lib play, kind of looked like an arrow route that he kind of uh, worked back inside. And, and Brady Brady has a, a definite 
even though he was only played one game with him in New England, he has a definite um, synergy with the guy, and he's the reason he's here. I mean, he's here because of Tom Brady. Not sure Bruce Arians necessarily wanted him, but it worked out, right? They played eight games. They won a Super Bowl. They got him his bonus. He caught 45 balls in the regular season, um, and he was off to a tremendous start. So what happens now, I'm not really sure. You know, they said – had they known it was going to be this long, would they have put him on IR? Maybe, but the, the fact of the matter is they don't need the roster spot per se. Um, they've got plenty of receivers. Like I said, they they went ahead and signed Brashard Perryman. Now Scotty Miller is back. So they're okay at that position in terms of depth, but it's not it's not the impact that Antonio Brown had. You know, like in the Dallas game, what he had four catches for over 100 yards. I mean, you know, that's the sort of, of explosive um, offense that he he provides. And right now... The Bucks offense is shrinking a little bit. I know they scored 38 points the other day, but they did it they did it a very difficult way. They did it by running the football, a lot of checkdowns to Leonard Fournette. He was tremendous. He scored four touchdowns. Um, it's great that you can play that way as you get into December and, and January uh, if you get to the postseason because the weather turns bad and you don't want to be a team that has to throw it on every down. So you want to be able to run the ball. I think their offensive line has looked really, really good. So all those things are positives, but – We've stopped seeing the shot plays. We've stopped seeing down-the-field throws that Brady was just carving people up with. Some of that is because of the way the teams are playing them now, and Brady is very patient and, and willing to, you know, against a five- and six-man front, he's going to run the football every time or check it down, and he wins. I mean, that's you know, Tom's not trying to roll up stats here. He's not trying to look pretty. He's just trying to win games right now. Um, I think this game in Atlanta is one that, they could build from last week. I mean, you know, you, you finally went on the road. You slayed a really good team. You played a bad first half. You turned the ball over all over the place. You were down by 10, and Indianapolis had the ball to start the second half and was driving and down to your 20-yard line. I mean, they were going to go down three scores. And at that point, I think it's game over. Um, and then, you know, we saw the, the, you know, the sack, strip fumble recovery by Shaq Barrett go down, score a touchdown, then the interception by Antoine Winfield. Now, all of a sudden, not just back in the game, but you're kind of ahead. So that, the second half was tremendous. But they allowed 21 points in one quarter. So the good news about all of this is that this week, I ex- fully expect Carlton Davis will be activated um, from the IR. He's, he's in that 21-day window to get ready. Um, he looks really good. There's, there's no no reason to think he won't be out there on Sunday. And for the first time since the first game of the season, um, well, actually, I didn't even know if they have the first game of the season they had everybody, but since back then, uh, Sean Murphy bunting his injury, this secondary will be whole. Now, Mike Edwards, who's kind of been that third, you know, the third safety, the guy that's played some slot corner uh, while guys have been out, he he apparently is hurt. He's got a knee injury. He, he got hurt on that ridiculous kickoff return tackle that, uh, you know, they nearly broke to beat the to beat the the Colts beat him, but you're going to have Sean Murphy bunting, Carlton Davis, your two starting corners. Then you have Jordan Whitehead, of course, in Antoine Winfield Jr. But then when they go three wide receivers, now you can move Murphy bunting inside. Now Jamel Dean goes outside. He's your third corner in essence. And you've got something right. This is the grave diggers that they all talked about. So I I think this is a good week, you know, to work Carlton Davis back in. Um, obviously, you know, Atlanta is going to try to throw the ball, you know, and they've, they've got some good weapons. We'll talk about those. 
Um, but they can build on that that win. It kind of kind of feels a little like last year. Although there's there's tougher teams ahead. I mean, after this game, they host the Buffalo Bills, and that's that's you know some people would have thought that was a, a potential Super Bowl preview, right? May still be. Who knows? Uh, and then after that, they've got the Saints, who are starting Taysom Hill as we do this podcast. They started him Thursday night against um, the Dallas Cowboys. The Saints need a win, obviously. It's a three-game lead heading into this game prior to Thursday night's game. Could be two-and-a-half, could be three-and-a-half. Um, the Bucks, all I know is they have a chance, a really good chance, to wrap this division up in the next three weeks. If they were to win at Atlanta, come home against the Bills – where they've been they've been undefeated since last year. Uh and then and then finally beat the Saints at home. By the time they beat the Saints in three weeks or two weeks from Sunday, um, they could be division champs with three games to go. And two of those against Carolina. So there's a lot at stake. Um they need to they need this win. They need to make it three in a row. They need a little momentum because I think games have momentum. I think seasons have momentum. So to me this is a this is a kind of a swing game. You you fall back to the Atlanta Falcons here, somehow you come out of there without a win. Woof. That that would not be a good a good vision going in the Buffalo game. Well, and, and like you we talked about, your worries about this is the way they play on the road. Now, they started off poor in Indianapolis, but they showed you they can play better on the road mm-hmm. against a good Indianapolis team. So yeah, you know I, I think that's what Bruce Arians, Todd Bowles, Byron Leftwich they're looking to build on. You know, yeah. playing what you what you did in the second half last week on the road, and and you're going against a team that's not as good as the team you just beat. So, right, you, you know, I, you fully expect the Bucks to to win this game. Um, I expect them to destroy Atlanta. I'll be honest with you. I mm-hmm. I I don't expect to win. I expect them to to run it up. I mean, this is who Atlanta has beaten: the Jets, the Giants. They had that ridiculous win over the Saints when the Saints, of course, didn't have Jameis Winston, and they had a big lead against the Saints. The Saints came and tied it up at the end, and and then I think it was either an overtime or very late in the game. Uh, they hit a big pass, Mike Ryan did, and, and they won it on the last-second field goal. They've beaten the Dolphins, not a great football team, and the Jaguars last week. Now, granted, you know, they're 5-6. and six. They're not out of anything yet. They're still fighting for a wild-card spot. Um and they got good players. It, you know, their two main players on offense is Cordero Patterson. Obviously, they move all around the place. And now Kyle Pitts, the kid from Florida, the tight end, has really become a a bigger feature part of their offense. Obviously, but you still got Matt Ryan, right? You still don't have a great running game. I mean, Patterson did some nice things even against the Bucks. That Bucks game, by the way, the Bucks scored forty eight. But for a while there, that's a, that was a three point game. You know, in the second half, uh, and then the Bucks pulled away, but. I fully expect them to, you know, if they come out and, and, and don't just put the ball on the ground and do stupid stuff, the Bucks should run, they should run them out of the gym. I don't think that, I'm pretty sure this is true, I don't think Tom Brady's ever lost to the Falcons. They haven't played him that much. Of course, we remember the Super Bowl when he's down, what, 28-3. to um, But this feels like a game that, you know, the Bucks are a better team, they play their game, they should be fine. And then you see what happens at home next week. But, there's still some, you know, there's still Dante Fowler and Deion Jones. I mean, they've still got guys on defense that can create problems. Well, don't forget the, the biggest... motivation for Atlanta. I mean, yes, they're 5 and 6. They're tied right. for the last wild card in the NFC. They're in it. They're in it. Yeah. I mean, they're a, in a it. win a win Sunday 
you move to a, a record above five or at five hundred. Five hundred, and yeah. you're still going to be at worst case tied for the last spot in the wild card yeah. chase. Now, you know, I think currently Washington actually holds that spot based on tiebreakers, right. but yeah, with you know six weeks to go, long way you're to go. tied for the last spot. You're right in it. I mean, you know, Atlanta's mm-hmm. got motivation to win this game. They're not, you know, two games back and out of the race. No, not at all. Not at all, and 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 they, you know, like I said, for three quarters they played with these guys at Raymond James, mm-hmm. so they're going to be motivated. And 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 you know, like I said, if if you come out there and you slop it around in the first half, like you did in Detroit, you know, again, credit Shaq Barrett for making the play of the game. Credit Antoine Winfield Jr. for making an unbelievable interception. But I'm telling you, it took every play that they made and then some. They needed the pass interference call on Cameron Brait, you know, in the end zone. They needed a pass interference call against um, Scotty Miller, which was kind of tic-tac. The guy did grab him at the end. You know, you don't always get those on the road. And they needed every break to get back in that game. Now, to their credit, they took advantage of everyone, and Fournette went nuts, and, they, you know, they, they blocked well, and, and they did some nice things. But, yeah, this is not the vision games. The other thing is you lose the fear factor. You know, there's no shock and awe. When you play Atlanta, when you play Carolina, when you play New Orleans, they don't care. They, they, they've been on the grass with you. They know who your personnel is. They know how to attack you. Um, Smith is new to the, you know, as a head coach. Um, but Dean Pease, who used to be with the Patriots, I mean, he, he knows Tom Brady as well as anybody. And, and he knows exactly what his kryptonite is. You know, pressure inside, pressure in the middle. Uh, you got Grady Jarrett sitting over top of him. So, so some stuff could happen, right? And remember the last time they played Atlanta, they were coming out of the bye, and I think they had beaten the Vikings. And the next week they go to Atlanta, and they're down 17 to nothing, man, and it's no fluke, you know? Now, there's no Calvin Ridley this year, but, um, you know, Calvin Ridley was, was torching them, and Sean Murphy Bunning was giving up touchdowns, and they went to halftime. And if they hadn't come back out and won that game, I don't – there's definitely – I mean, I just don't think they they gain enough momentum to get them to the end of the season and win the Super Bowl, much less maybe make the playoffs. So it was a big game, and they fell behind. Boom, seventeen nothing in Atlanta, same place they're going back to, and that was their Super Bowl year. Okay, um, and so no guarantee that it that it, you know the way they played on the road and with the injuries. Arian said something the other day that I thought was interesting, and it's it, it sounds like an excuse, but it is reality in the NFL. Um, somebody asked, like, what's the only thing holding you back, you guys back right now, you know, from where you were a year ago, from making the playoffs, from winning and maybe winning the division? And he just said one thing, injuries. It's the only thing that we're having to deal with right now. Um, and they've done a pretty good job of it. I mean, considering what they have, you know, um, a beat-up JPP, a secondary that's revolving every single week. Uh, guys like D Delaney and, you know, Richard Sherman shows up for a little while and he goes out and, you know, like I said, they were, you know, they were down to their, their seventh or eighth corner in Washington. So, you know, for them to kind of hang in there and be, what are they? Eight and three, eight and three is a damn good record around here. And, and for that most part, there's only like three teams in the NFC that have, you know, three losses or less. And I think, you know, they're obviously one of them. So they're still in it. They're the third seed in the NFC. They have a chance to move up. Um, I don't know. You know, Kyler Murray's coming back with the Cardinals, but they managed to win with Colt McCoy, which is ridiculous. Uh, I don't think you'd fear going to Arizona. Here's the thing, and there's this is amazing to me, but it's true. The Bucks have not won this division 
since the year before John Gruden was fired. 2007, Steve. Well, they hadn't made the playoffs till last year, so you knew they had. Well, yeah, 12 years, right? But, yeah, and they were a know, wild card exactly. last and, year. So. And, and that was the last time until last year. They won the division in 2007. They hosted a game against the New York football giants, and Jeff Garcia was the quarterback. Wow. Jeff Garcia was the last playoff quarterback prior to last year of your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I think, and I, I'd have to look this up. I could be wrong. Was that the year that the that the Giants were the sixth seed and ran through the playoffs and won the Super Bowl? It might have been. If it's the 07 um, season, yeah, that was the uh, yeah. undefeated season for the Patriots. That's right, and they wound up beating Tom Brady, right, the 18-0 out in Arizona. So, um, But, yeah, that that was the year, and, it, and that, that start got started right here in Tampa Bay uh, with the Giants. I'll, t- I'll tell you a funny story. So um, <laughs> maybe I can't tell all of it, but we we used to do these things called playoff special sections. <laughs> it was just a way to – and maybe we'll do another one because it's been so long. Um, we probably will, as a matter of fact. Um, and it's a way to make revenue, obviously, for the paper with ads and things. And so, you you know, in addition to your regular coverage, you come up with a cover, uh, you know, some kind of cover piece and, and you know, special section. So we decided we were going to do one on, on Jeff Garcia. Interesting, colorful, colorful guy. Married, as you remember, and still is, to a Playboy Playmate, who was the Playmate of the Year at one point, uh, shortly after you married her. And so... Somebody got the idea of, uh, hey, wouldn't it be great to take a, a picture of the first couple uh, kind of with the, with the cityscape and the water behind them? And, and so they met them someplace across the bay where you could look towards the city. Uh, and I just remember, and I can't remember the photographer's name, he got in the water. Like I've never seen, like he was wearing fully clothed, jeans, whatever, just said, nah, I don't like this shot. I need to be shooting up a little bit at an angle and <laughs> just waited in there, man. And it was like it was January. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I like I don't like any water that's like under eighty five degrees personally. And that the Gulf and the bay was probably like, I don't know, in the sixties, I would think at that time. And uh we shot we got the shot. She was great. Um she's used to the camera, obviously. And uh and you kind and I felt like I felt like Garcia, you know what? This guy's a pretty good veteran quarterback. I mean, he went to some playoffs in San Francisco. You know what? They may they may be okay here. They may win a couple of these. No. No. Garcia was gone shortly thereafter. You know, John Gruden always wanted a new quarterback. Um, but it was it's a funny memory for me because I, I was there to interview him and to sort of help with a photo shoot. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not going in the water. I can tell you that. But Anything we got, for we got the, shot, the shot, man. Anything for the shot. Anything for the shot. Yeah, that's what we do. So that's how long it's been. So if they win, uh, say they beat Atlanta, which they're expected to, I think they're like eleven and a half point favorite, which is ridiculous. I don't gamble, but folks, that's a lot of that's. I sound like Brent, but I like East Carolina. I sound like Brent Mushberger. Eleven and a half is a lot in an NFL game. I don't know which way that that's going to move. Um, but if they win this game, um, and you know they they put themselves in position against uh, the Bills. The Bills have a really difficult game on Sunday against the Patriots. Like, this is for the AFC East. Like, the Bills yep. are looking at a wild card at this point. And that's on Monday uh, night, so they'll have a short week going into next Short week, week, have to travel after a very – let me tell you, you play the Patriots, you feel it the next day, right? It's a very physical defense, a tough team to play, a team that's red hot. They've won six in a row. 
and the Bills are going to get everything and then some and then have to travel down here for a short week to play in the afternoon uh, at 425 at Raymond James where the Bucks haven't lost in two years. So that sets up really well for these guys. And then we'll see where the Saints are at that point. You know, I mean, the Saints, as we do this podcast, still had to play the Dallas Cowboys as we're taping it Thursday night. Um, you know, and, and they could fall out of it uh, or they could still hang around. They still have a really good defense. They, you know, it doesn't seem to matter when the Bucks play the Saints, especially, you know, here. They, they, I mean, Tom Brady hasn't beaten them yet in the regular season, and I think they've won six in a row in the regular season against these guys. They did get them in the playoffs. That's the one that mattered. Um, but, you know, never an easy game. But, yeah, you, you go ahead and you win those. Now, now you could win the division, and at some point, if you do that, you're talking about guaranteed one home playoff game. You know, whether you get the first seed or not, if you get the first seed, you get a bye. I, I don't know that they're going to be that good, maybe. Um, but you definitely get one home playoff game, and then you got to go on the road. And all you got to hope for, if you're the Bucks, in my opinion, is that you're not going to Green Bay. Because I think Green Bay, who, and you say, well, they lost the last two championship games up there, Rick. Yeah, they did, and they lost to the Bucks. But what are the odds you're going to get another balmy day, right? And even the Bucks will tell you. They don't, they, don't, they don't even hesitate to tell you this. Like, look, we took the hard road last year. We won four games. We won three playoff games on the road in the Super Bowl in our home stadium. That ain't happening normally because there were very limited or, you know, none or a few fans. There were none in Washington. Um, I'm here to tell you, if that, ba- if that bad boy had been packed the way Tyler Heineke ran all over the place and brought him back, that might have been a different outcome. Um, and there were limited fans everywhere, including Green Bay. On a day that the night before I checked into the hotel, I woke up the next morning, it was snowing, and there was about four inches on top of my rental car. It had snowed all night, but it stopped. And not only did it stop, but they cleared. They had the field cover. They cleared the field, and it was probably 34 degrees. Let me tell you, folks, you're not getting a 34-degrees day with very little wind in Green Bay, Wisconsin, right, in, in uh, mid-January, mid to late January. Late January, I guess it was. So the chances of that happening if they go up there again are not very good. Uh, you're, you're probably going to get an Arctic plunge or something. Uh, so I think you want to play – on the other hand, if you went to Arizona, eh, you know, I mean, sure, home crowd is worth something in the playoffs, no doubt. But grass field, dome, right? Like it's Arizona. It's the same same climate, basically, just drier than Tampa. So, and and not as good a football team, in my opinion. We'll see where they wind up. Um, but not a team that's used to playing in this game. You know, a, a team that would be there for the first time uh, in a long time since BA was coaching there which is a nice storyline too, him going back to Arizona. So I just think that, you know, you've got an opportunity here to get some separation. They've, the thing that, that B.A. has talked with them about all week is December football. Guys, it's December football. And no one's been better in the history of football than Brady at this time of year. And I think the Bucks have figured some things out with their offense, with Fournette, with um, getting some guys back on defense. So we'll see. Um, got some other other news, of course. Uh, in uh, the big the big thing is the the Major League Baseball lockout has begun. Yeah, it began uh, what Thursday morning at midnight or just thereafter. Yeah, um, players and teams can not talk to each other. That's um, <laughs> Kevin Cash said. He goes, look, during the pandemic, we didn't have answers, but we could at least talk with each other. Now you we don't we have answers, that and it? we can't talk. 
You know what we call that in real life? Divorce. <laughs> this call is a, my this lawyer. It's a trial separation. <laughs> it's a trial. That's what it is. It's, I, if you've ever been locked out, you know how a lockout feels, right? You get the apartment. <laughs> they get the house. <laughs> um, it's not good. And no one talks to you. You don't talk to each other. That's the problem. The problem will be, and you know this, Steve, when's the start of spring training? When, uh, when are they supposed to report? Mid-February? You know, Mid-February. Probably February 10th in that range, okay. 12th. I'm going to predict there will be little to zero dialogue between either the union and the, and the and Major League Baseball until the day or thereabouts or the couple days before they're supposed to report. That's what I, I mean. Well, I think there'll be conversations ongoing, whether any movement happens or they start working through some of their differences on what they'd like to see in a new contract. You know, a lot of times that doesn't happen until you start getting a real deadline. I mean, this deadline of Lawyers. December 2nd at midnight, it's an arbitrary deadline because you're in the middle of the off season. You're, there's no yeah. threat to lose a game or spring training. Yeah. Now, what you do lose is players who are rehabbing can't rehab with your team doctors, can't rehab at your team facilities. They now have mm. to go to private facilities and follow standard protocols, but your team doctors have no input or say and can't even find out what you're doing. Um, yeah, if you go to like, like the MLB website, there is nothing about the players on there. It's, hmm. it's a bunch of a couple videos and articles on the lockout and Hall of Fame stuff because those are wow. old players. Uh, wow. Because they can't use their likenesses in marketing because there's no agreement between them. Um, you know, it's, there's not. I, I, you know, as a baseball fan, you hate hearing a lockout. I mean, and, and it's amazing. It's been 25 or 26. I years. I didn't realize that. Yeah. 26 years. Yeah, that's that's. I didn't realize that. Yeah, since there was no World Series in '94 when they locked out in the middle of that season. Travesty. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the first time this has happened. I mean, hockey had it happen. What about ten years ago? Nine, ten years ago. Base, uh, uh, football, NFL had a lockout, but they didn't miss games. Yep. Yeah, the the NBA's had some, but baseball had gone twenty six years. Mm. You know, if look, if by February first they have an agreement, then you know nothing, nothing got impacted for the fans as far as that goes, yeah. which which I think would be wonderful and awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's it seems like they're pretty far away at this point based on the reporting you see. Uh, but like I said, until you start. Until you start getting a hard deadline of, okay, spring training's a month away. Spring training's three weeks away, two weeks away. You may not see a ton of movement because there's no there's no urgency or pressure on either side at that point. I mean, I think they'd yeah. like I think both sides would love to get a deal done now, but you're not willing to to I don't want to say cave or but you know, to negotiate or come down from certain positions until you might be forced to lose games, revenue, uh, et cetera. Right. Well, that's, you know, the the players have the opportunity. I mean, their leverage is they could strike. But in this case, the owner's leverage is we're going to lock you out. Um, we don't have a contract with you, so you're you're done. But, you know, lawyers, it's always deadlines. They always work on deadlines. The problem is no one until someone's impacted and they think there's going to be a loss of games. Games mean revenue to the players, means revenue to the owners. That's when things start to move and I don't know what that day would be because they could move spring training back the start of it obviously they could move the start of the regular season but even that's problematic because some of these you know um 
Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe these baseball stadiums are open year-round and they don't have any other events and it doesn't really matter. I just don't think you want to start much later because if you play a full 162-game season, how late can you play? You know, the the weather gets pretty bad up north in November, so um, you only have so many weeks to play the season. And, and for every every week that goes by into spring training could potentially affect the regular season and the money's taken off the table, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, that's when it, that's when it becomes real. But I know this about, you know, I've covered the NFL. Uh, I don't know anything about hockey in terms of their union. This is what I believe. The Major League Baseball Players Union is the strongest of any of them. I mean, just, just on the outside, and I think the letter from the commissioner uh, sort of enumerated this, but it's true. Um, they're the only one. I mean, they have guaranteed contracts. Like, their contracts, like, when a, when a football player signs and we go, oh, you got, you know, four years, $40 million. But then you look at it and you go, wait a minute, they're only guaranteeing $20 million. So it's really a two-year $20 million deal because they can walk away. You know, it's on there as twenty, you know, forty million, you know, ten million a year for the next. But the last two years aren't guaranteed. So in baseball, no, that's not the case, and that's not insignificant. You know, they don't have a salary cap. Imagine that. There's no salary cap in baseball. There isn't, but there's also no salary floor. That's correct. And you can spend zero. So I mean, here's here's the crux of the financial parts of the deal is baseball allows players to have 10-year contracts or more, guaranteed. The only yep. sport to do that. Yeah. Uh, hockey, your, your maximum deal is eight years if you re-sign with your team, seven if you're a free agent. Uh, yep. NBA, I, I don't know the specifics, but I know it's not 10 years. It may be five or six or whatever. Um, and in baseball, you can have a three, four. There's no cap on the amount of money. I mean, Max Scherzer, $43 million for three years. That's I mean, right. You, I mean, you know, you can sign a lot, but... What the players' union doesn't like is that the average salaries in baseball have not gone up for years because there's no floor. Now, the, the minimum salary's gone up, but the average has not. Where what's happening is the best players are getting paid a lot of money, but the average players aren't making more than they used to. And and so the players' union has a problem with that. And that's when you don't have a salary cap and a salary floor, and and those go up, you know, periodically, which is generally what happens, although with COVID it a lot of the league stayed stagnant, but is that the the top players are getting paid and getting paid handsomely, but the bottom players are making less overall. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, we kind of went through that in football a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same because they're not guaranteed, but remember there used to be a, a situation where um, the rookies, especially mm-hmm. in the first round and the highest um, part of the round, some of these guys were coming out without playing a single game in the NFL and guaranteeing them $60 million. And the veterans screamed their lungs out. Mm-hmm. They were like, this is not fair. We're, they're making all this money. And it really wasn't that many of them, right? It was like 10, the top, maybe 10 players in the draft. These guys are making all this money, and we're, we're out here banging it, and we've, we've proven that we can play. And they, they get, you know, it's backwards. The system is backwards. So they created what they called a rookie salary cap or pool. And so based on where you pick players, you get so much money allotted just to sign those draft picks. And, yes, the draft picks still make pretty good money, but it's nothing what, like what it used to be uh, before 2011. I mean, Gerald McCoy's class, 2010, Sue, those guys were the last ones to just absolutely clean up and guaranteed money as rookies, you know, $50 million um, guaranteed when they were signed. So but what, what happened after that is, there was an assumption that, oh, well, this money will be evenly distributed now because the owners will have more money. 
it didn't happen, you know. Um, you still had certain guys that made and, – and, and so to your point, I think this is it, the case in baseball a little bit. You had a lot of guys making uh, – well, you had a few guys making a ton of money, and then you had everybody else sort of – it kind of squeezed the middle class, you know. Um, at least that's what I saw. And then a veteran, when because they had a salary cap, when a veteran would get up there and start making some real money – they would cut that player or they would move that player because they were just regular dudes that they didn't want to pay. And so they'd go back and use, you know, the, the rookies were cheaper in other words. So it, it made, it made, it incentivized the owners a little bit to say, Hey, you know, we don't have to pay these rookies for four years. And that includes quarterbacks too, by the way, you know, so the quarterbacks would come out and Demarcus Russell would get $60 million. You kind of had to play them. Now, they can draft a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, he gets a pretty good contract. But you know what? If you don't work out in two years, get rid of him. You know, and and they've got some cheaper uh, players for the first four years until they get a fifth year option or uh, or free agency. So I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I can appreciate them saying you know it's it's squeeze like the, the the guys in the middle aren't making a lot of money or as much money, um, but it's an allocation system in football. It's not in baseball. Right, so I guess I guess they want a floor. I can get that. That would affect teams like the Rays, I would imagine, depending on where they set that. Right. Well, I mean, here's the thing: the players' union would like baseball to spend more on salaries, but if you're not willing to implement a cap and a floor system, how do you force a team how to do spend? How do you do money? that? Right. I mean, right. you know, and that's where. Uh, yes, the baseball union is strong and the strongest, but I don't. I think they've. I think they've misled their players for years now. And I've said this before, is that baseball spends less percentage of the revenue on player salaries than any other sport. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't the union's job be to get as much money for the pool of for players? All not, the players. Not for right. the 10 biggest players in the game. Exactly right. But let's take more total off the table and we'll, you know, then we'll so figure out how to So become more of a partner. Yeah, yeah, you become more of a partner. Like the, the NFL, I think it's 48% right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's of going designated up, too. Gross, designated gross revenues and moving moving towards more of a 50-50 partnership. Yeah, and hockey and, and NBA are around the same type, 50% number. Baseball, yeah. last I saw a number, was like 38% of the, the revenue was going to player yeah. salaries. So they're behind. They're behind yeah. in that area. And, and that sure. may not be accurate today, but it's, you know, yeah. I don't, I think the players union, if they were willing to, yes, okay, there's, you're not going to get somebody get a 12 year deal for 40 million a year, but you can get more money total for your union. Does, isn't that what the union's job is to do? The union's job is to get as much money for players, all players, as they can, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Uh, and, and that's why I don't think you, should, you shouldn't discriminate against rookies, veterans. I think they're all your players, right? So just mm-hmm. get as much as you can, um, in my opinion. I, I would, that's the way I would a- approach it. Yeah. But, now, if I'm a veteran in the league and one of the best players, yeah, no, I'm not going uh, you know, to. That's not my viewpoint at that point, and I understand. No. You know, Bryce Harper and those type guys, that's not the, the way they want it. They want to continue to make their big bucks, and, and I don't blame them for that. Right. But you know what? As long as there's not a cap, like as long as there's not like a situation where they, they can't spend more than X, and maybe there will be. I don't know. Um, you know how you know how it is. If you're Bryce Harper, if you're these guys, there's always going to be an owner, and it's going to be the highest bidder, and you're going to get paid. I mean, th- why those guys worry about them getting cut out, I, I don't know. 
It, it just well, but if if you have a salary cap, then you may not be able to get well, forty five million a year. That, I mean, you're good paid. Yeah, but that's the problem. I mean, you got to decide: Are we going to go for a cap, or you know, what are you trying to accomplish here? More but money th- in the system, more money for everybody, more money for the stars. But the other part of a salary cap and floor is the owners have disagreements over the way rev share is in baseball and sure how do. other teams are subsidizing teams where you know yeah. baseball more than the other sports the NFL one of the reasons it's easy for the NFL to implement a salary cap floor rev share and all that is is a majority of their television money as a matter of fact almost all of it is national you know the only right. local tv money you have is your preseason games Right, that's not the case with baseball, where you can have yes. the Yes Network, or you know, yeah, your regional sort of networks thing. are where you're getting your money from. So the Yankees pull in a lot more money than the Rays, or right, you know, or the Royals, or whatever, because they're in New York and there's more bodies, and why and more fans. We, we and, pay a luxury tax to Tampa Bay that can't draw mm-hmm. fans and stuff. You know, I mean, baseball. So much of the money is is derived locally. I mean, they have the national deals with you know ESPN and then Turner for the postseason and that. Yeah, but. You know, th- football's that's, network driven, no doubt. Yeah, it's all it's all basically going into the league office and then being split between thirty two teams. That's it's, right. It's pretty easy to go. Yeah, we can salary cap this because every team's making close the to the same. same amount of money. I mean, you know, no doubt. You make your local sponsors and ticket sales, and there's some you know things you can stadiums do locally, but, are mm-hmm. became a big part of revenue. Club seats, sky suites, ticket sales. Yep. But yeah, the 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 preponderance of money is coming from those TV revenues and and franchise values. Mm-hmm. Which go up, mm-hmm. but that's that's where they make their money, and they're gonna make more because they're gonna be gambling soon. We have gambling at your seat; it's gonna be great. <laughs> so, anyway, um, you ready all right, for college football we this weekend? College football, oh boy, Ch- we got Alabama, weekend. Alabama, Georgia. I'm gonna make a prediction. And I and look, this hurts me to say this because my good friend Todd Munkin, as you know, is the offensive coordinator at Georgia. I think Alabama's gonna win. I don't th- look. I think Georgia's a better team. There's something. I think Alabama coming back and beating Auburn in the Iron Bowl, which was insane, by the way, because first of all, Auburn didn't even have their starting quarterback, but they were in it. The the, the freshman quarterback obviously so showed some hiccups. They're they're vulnerable in some areas, but man, they're you know what you know what Alabama is in this game that they're going to enjoy. They're the underdogs. For once, Georgia has the pressure. Mm-hmm. Like they're. They're not the number one team in the country. They're the ones just, you know, hey, we're here. We're not supposed to win. I think they're going to revel in that position. I do. I think they're going to love it. And I'm interested to see how Georgia reacts to that. Well, that's one of the two chaos scenarios for the college football playoff. I know. that's Because (laughs) if Alabama wins and then Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State all win. Yes. Who's out? uh, yeah, well, that's the problem. Georgia's probably still in the playoff, even if they lose to Bama. Georgia's going to make the playoff, unless yeah, I can't. See unless they get blown out. Unless loss, they get blown out. Yeah, even then, one loss to Alabama, you know, yeah, if it's if just you, embarrassing. You get maybe, blown but, out. You get blown out, and say Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State all dominate role, yeah. in their conference championships. Yeah, yeah. You can make a case where Georgia's not in. I mean, I, I don't see that happening. But the other right. chaos scenario is Georgia wins. And then all the other favorites lose. Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State all lose. Oh, yeah. Then it's, then it's a free-for-all. So now you've got 
Two loss Michigan, two loss Oklahoma State, two loss Bama, mm-hmm. one loss Cincinnati, one loss Notre Dame. Who's in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame. And you could even say two loss Ohio State, possibly, but. Right, right. Then which uh, the other three teams are in if that happens? Uh, it's, it, that, that's more chaos than just yes. Alabama winning. But I, I just feel like that Alabama is going to relish being the underdog. I think they're going to love it. And I don't think they got anything to lose. You know, they got everything that, you know, freshman quarterback, that kid is, that kid is special. Um, defensively, George is dominant. I don't, you know, so it's going to be difficult. I mean, Auburn gave them, they barely could score against Auburn. You figure, well, how are they going to score against Georgia? I don't know, man. And Nick Saban in a big game against former coaches doesn't lose. So, well, he finally lost one this year. I mean, he lost he to Jimbo. One. Yeah, he did lose to Jimbo. And then Jimbo didn't win anything after that. No. But, well, no, he did. He got his contract after that. Well, he gets $9 million, yeah. Still hadn't won the SEC or gotten to the championship. Uh, that one's good. The Big Ten, I, look, I mean, you know, I don't know. Iowa's been so up and down, and they wouldn't be here if not for Wisconsin horribly losing to Minnesota last week, which, you know, Wisconsin's. I, I, I just worry about Michigan coming off the high of beating Ohio State. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. You know, how do how do eighteen to twenty two year olds react, and can they come out with the same fire yeah. Saturday night in Indianapolis? I was dangerous because you know, they, you know, it's they, not a home crowd. They, no, there'll be a lot of Michigan fans there, but it's not yeah. home. So you know, right. you factor all that in with kids. Yeah, you know, do they come out with the same fire? Yeah. No, I get it. I hope I want to see Michigan in the tournament. I think that would be cool. I want to see Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good Michigan team. I'd like to see that. Something different, not Ohio State. Um, yeah, Oklahoma you know, State so. at Baylor is a key game. I mean, Oklahoma State needs some yeah. probably some style points potentially. They might, and Baylor's not bad. Baylor, no. could, Baylor yep. could upset them. And you know, Houston, in Oklahoma Houston State versus Cincinnati. Houston's won what eleven in a row. Yeah, they're ranked like what sixteenth, seventeenth, yeah. something like that. Yeah, they're a pretty good team. They're and a very good team. They've got nothing. No, with Cincinnati, they just have to win. I don't think Cincinnati needs style points in this one. I think they just need to win the game. Um, here's like I said, if Unless if, it's if Alabama beats Georgia and say both yeah. those teams are in, yeah, style points could matter if Oklahoma State and Michigan both win, because now you've got two spots between those three. Yeah, that'd be that'd be a damn shame. <laughs> yeah, style points could matter for Cincinnati. That would be something. And I now, granted, Cincinnati gets that game at home, which helps. Part of me wants to see Notre Dame get in there and win. I don't <laughs> know. They think it'd be ironic, <laughs> you know, with their new new coach the defensive coordinator that they promoted. So anyway, we got lots of football this weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you guys all on Monday. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.